You're listening to the Lost Mountain Podcast. Lost Mountain exists to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. We hope today's message encourages you towards a deeper relationship with Christ. If you have any questions from today's message, email us at info at lmbc.us. Link is in the show notes. Hey, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Thank you for making your way to church this morning. By way of reminder, just to let everybody know that our summer home groups start this week. I know several of you have already signed up for a particular group, but if you have yet to do that, I want to encourage you to do so today. You can indicate wanting to sign up for a group on the back of your connection card, or you could go to LNBC dot us forward slash home groups and register for a group there i want nothing more than to have to look for additional home group hosts as well as leaders so groups are filling up and we are grateful for that because we are going to invest a lot of time in the book of genesis throughout the duration of this summer and we want you to be in a home group so if you have yet to sign up for one please do so today because home groups begin this week Uh, By way of reminder also, this is not really a reminder, but Matt wanted me to communicate this morning that uh, he is uh, safely on the way, hopefully, to Houston, Texas. He gets the opportunity to sit under the instruction of N.T. Wright uh, with Baylor's intensive uh, program throughout the book of Acts this week. So he's really excited about that. Pray over that opportunity for him that he would have an opportunity to be refreshed and to hear some things that he wants to implement into the life and ministry here at Lost Mountain. So with that said, we are beginning a new message series through the book of Genesis today. This is no easy task, particularly for me, I get to cover kind of the broad overview of the book of Genesis today. So essentially what I'm going to accomplish in the next 36 or 37 minutes is 50 chapters of the book of Genesis. So with that said, we don't need to waste any more time. We need to jump right into the text. But before we do that, I want to draw our attention to Psalm 8. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and click over to Psalm 8 and follow along with me as I read. King David, pretty much in his commentary of Genesis chapter 1, says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, 
all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pause for a moment and acknowledge your presence in this place. I pray over each and every individual heart that has made their way to church this morning. And I just ask that all of us would be receptive to the truth that you want to speak into our lives today. None of us know where the other one is coming from. None of us really know the intricacies of the week that we have just come out of or the week that we are going into. And so we have stressful situations that we're anticipating. Uh, We have family issues. We have health concerns. We have detached relationships. We have all of these things sitting on our hearts, weighing heavily on them this morning. So I pray that you would speak into our lives and remind us as we consider the very beginning of things, that you have enacted a plan of redemption to deliver us from all of these things. And so I pray right now that we would rest under the authority of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, real quick, just to lay some groundwork for what the book of Genesis actually is, it's actually divided into two parts. Genesis 1 through 11 cover the creation of the world and the human race. And the principal characters, aside from God himself, obviously are Adam and Noah. The other big section of the book covers chapters 12 through 50, and they focus on a particular family that God will choose to use for his special purposes. Our main characters in this section are Abraham, his son Isaac, Isaac's son Jacob, and Jacob's son Joseph. So go ahead and go over to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're going to start at the very beginning, and we're going to be flipping through a lot through the book of Genesis. So let's hear those pages turning. Let's Pound on the iPad so I can hear your fingerprint hit it a lot. Whatever needs to happen in order for you to follow along with me. So, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Right from the beginning, we need to understand, very simplistically, as if nobody in this room knew, God is simply the creator of all. That's who he is. That's our first point for this morning. God is the creator of all. God is the eternal, self-existent founder of all things. Being eternal, he has no beginning, he has no end. God creates the universe as a whole, then gives order to something that was formless and void. His act of creating lasts for six days, and then he sets aside one for rest. Let that sink in for a second, because we are not good at that seventh day, right? 
We are not a culture who observes this opportunity, namely this commandment that God has given us to rest. We don't even do it well when it's time to rest. We're given a quick scroll through our email just to make sure that we haven't missed anything before we finally shut ourselves down for the night. So my encouragement right off the bat, hey, take some time to rest. And I'm, ins- I'm saying that to myself as well. I need to do this. I need to rest because God has fashioned it into his creation that we would rest and we would rest well. So day one, what does he create? Light. He creates the, gre- the greater light. He creates the lesser light. Day two, the water and sky. Day three, land and vegetation. Day four, lights in heaven. Day five, fish and birds. Day six, animals and humans. And day seven is the Sabbath. He rests. Go to verse 26 of chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. I'm going to stop right there for a second because I am not going to get into the intricacies a lot. You'll notice this because let us make man in our image tends to throw people off sometimes. There's various interpretations of what that means. There's also thousands of pages of commentary written throughout church history that you can consult on your own time for that. That is beyond the scope of this message today, but rest assured, I want you to take an opportunity to actually delve into what the scripture is actually communicating as far as various interpretations of what this could possibly mean. So have fun with that. And don't get me wrong, we'll explore a little bit of that as we kind of hone in on some of the integral parts of the book of Genesis throughout the coming weeks and throughout the summer. But hey, I've got 50 chapters to cover, so let's go. All right? Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This is what theologians refer to as the cultural or the creation mandate. It is only the human being that was created in the image of God. We finitely display God's infinite attributes such as life, personality, truth, wisdom, love, holiness, and justice. God creates them, male and female, and they are to increase in number in order to fill and rule what God has created. We've been created in the very image of God. We've been created for a purpose. So it's very interesting to see what God has entrusted to the pinnacle of his creation, the human being. Go down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is essentially communicating that every domain of life flows from him. What God has created is suitable for its intended purposes. 
If God is the creator of all, the only logical conclusion that we can draw from this is God is also the judge of all. God stands as the judge of everything that he has created, which is our second point. We've seen that God is the creator of all. Now we see that God is the judge of all. Click over to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it or and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is interesting because it's communicating that God essentially created mankind with the capacity of being morally responsible. Adam and Eve are set in the garden to be obedient servants with opportunities of life and death set before them. This is no different from each day that we approach. Every morning, every single day, with whatever it is that we have to do, we have opportunities of life and death set before us. Whether we want to choose to pursue the things of God that we know are honoring to him and our relationship with him, or we choose something that will inevitably result in our destruction. We have those opportunities set before us each and every day, and it was no different here. But we know any quick reading through the book of Genesis will reveal that the two succumb to the deception of Satan. And though Adam and Eve are oblivious to evil at this point, the craftiness of the servant, the serpent will soon take advantage of that integrity. The fruits consumed, human beings have desired to be a law unto themselves ever since. Make no mistake, every person has inherited a sin nature as a result of this very occurrence that we see in Genesis. Once Adam and Eve partake of the tree. But it's interesting, note here that Adam and Eve's deception comes through something they were given the authority to rule over. Isn't that interesting? Be encouraged this morning that through Christ, you no, lo- you no longer have to be ruled by habitual patterns of sins that you may be currently trapped in. Whatever the case may be, wh- whatever, whatever the particular inclination of sin that you struggle with as an individual, we live on the opposite side of the victorious triumph of Jesus Christ over sin and death. And so we no longer have to participate in things like that. But we also know that we are still very much attached to this sinful nature because everything about creation hasn't ultimately been delivered from everything because Christ hasn't returned yet. And so there will always be this internal struggle or this propensity toward sin. But at the same time, we do not have to choose that because as believers in Jesus, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to let us know that we are to approach God and to ask for forgiveness 
and that forgiveness is possible because of the mediation that Christ has supplied on our behalf. But nevertheless, we still struggle with that. We still struggle with these inclinations toward sin. In Genesis 3, 23 and 24, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. <sighs> Things are getting sad, right? Things are getting sad very quickly. What God has initially orchestrated as something that was very good took a turn for the worst when we fell susceptible to the schemes of the enemy. There was once life, now there's death. There was once pleasure, now there's pain. There was once abundance, now there is survival by toil. There was once perfect fellowship and now there is alienation and conflict. This, the, the, the devastating force of sin is introduced and it has most certainly been evident since that time. Skip, skip ahead to Genesis chapter 7. I want us to spend just a second here in verses 20 and 23. We're all familiar with the story the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. So God sees the increasing corruption upon the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is different from what we see as little kids, right? If you were raised in the church, you had a Sunday school teacher or if you had parents that took you to church, they might have purchased a little bath play toy of Noah's Ark with little people on it. I feel like we over-sentimentalize this thing, right? Because we, we portray Noah and Mrs. Noah on the little boat, but everybody around them is dying. Yay! I mean, isn't that interesting that we do that when this is one of the most destructive things that has taken place in the history of man because it grieved God's heart that he had created humanity, to the point that everything that he created perished under his judgment. But, but, Noah found favor. God simply has the authority to do what he wills as judge over that which he has created. 
I made that point before that the the logical conclusion of God being the creator of all is that he is the judge of it all. Noah was a man who walked blamelessly among the people of his time, so he found favor with God. And so God demonstrates that he is merciful by his willingness to sustain life. God is the sustainer of all things. Jump back up to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Obviously, this is when Adam and Eve understand that what they have participated in has completely violated everything that God had told them to do and to follow through with. But it says in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God supports Adam and Eve in the midst of their shame. And he graciously provides a substitute, an animal sacrifice, to serve as a perpetual reminder of his provision to Adam and Eve. It's not hard to see in this particular verse that God has enacted a plan of redemption that will ultimately provide a substitute to cover the shame of sinful, fallen humanity, and that exists in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, obviously, because every hand would go up. Have you ever done something that you are absolutely shameful of having participated in? Be encouraged this morning that God has provided a sacrifice on your behalf to cover that completely and totally. God has graciously given us everything that we need in Christ because he knows that our inclination is only toward sin all the time. But there is deliverance in Jesus Christ because he is the Lord and Savior of everything. God's redemptive purposes find their finality in the finished work of Jesus upon the cross. And this is news for everyone especially in the culture that you and I currently find ourselves in, right? And if Christians are are to be known by their love, then we need to define love in a way that is consistent with the way that God defines love. And God defines love through the person and the work of Jesus. And that seals our redemption, and it puts us in good and right standing with the holy and the creator and sustainer of all things. And so God graciously provides a substitute. Moving on in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time, as I mentioned before. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that have moved along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But, 
But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God mercifully sustains the lives of Noah and his family because of Noah's faith and obedience. God establishes a covenant with Noah in Genesis 9, verses 8 through 11, that he will never again destroy the earth by a flood. You remember what Matt spoke about last week as we finished up uh, the book of Luke? The only point that he had was that the evidence of saving faith is not profession, but obedience. Noah finds favor with God because of his obedience. He simply carried out what God told him to do. And he walked blamelessly with the Lord because he fulfilled what God told him to do. He was obedient towards him. And we're going to see this play out through the remainder of the characters that we discuss this morning in the book of Genesis. They're not perfect people, but they're obedient people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You and I are not perfect people. Our inclination, our propensity is still towards sin, but is there a desire within you to be obedient and to follow Jesus and to fulfill his commands? Because his commandments are not burdensome. What are his commandments? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets is what Jesus said. And so how are you and I doing at loving one another? How are we doing it with that? How are we fulfilling the obedience that God has called us to? Did Noah get it right? No. No, he didn't. Do you remember what happens? My goodness, as soon as he gets out of the ark, he plants a vineyard. He gets hammered and exposes himself. Can you imagine God just looking at him and being like, Kind of went the other way on that one, Noah. (laughs) Like I said, our bent is toward sin. But God is working. He's unfolding a plan of redemption. The curtain falls on Noah's time. The repopulation of the earth occurs through his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. People still want nothing more than to make a name for themselves, so they try building a tower that reaches to the heavens. The language is confused, and the second section of Genesis begins with God selecting an obscure Mesopotamian from the line of Sham. We know him as Abraham. So Genesis 12 begins. Verses 1 through 3 says, The Lord had said to Abraham, or to Abram at this point. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so the nations of the earth have been blessed because of what God has accomplished through Abraham. The redemptive plan of God, obviously, 
again, has been realized in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and this has been his plan since the beginning. And we get to participate in that plan in very tangible ways. This Thursday, my wife, Julie Turner, Beth Johnson, they're boarding a plane to go to South Africa to further establish our relationship with Orchard Africa. And so many of you have been great to supply their needs from the wish list that Julie created from Amazon. They're taking books for pastors. They're taking supplies for kids. And they're going over to partner with Orchard Africa in ways that fulfill this about what we're talking about right here. And we're, we're hoping that this, this uh, relationship that we have established with Orchard Africa extends just beyond what we give them as part of our Greater Impact special offering each and every year. But the goal next year is to take a bigger team. And so Beth and Julie have the opportunity to leave this Thursday. Please pray for them. Please pray for my sanity as I take care of both of our kids by myself for another week because Julie just got back from New Zealand a month ago. She's getting to do all of the fun overseas stuff while I get to take care of our kids. (laughs) And I'm not bothered by that. I love my kids. But man, she's getting to be the world traveler during this season of our lives, and I'm just a wee bit jealous. (laughs) But that's okay. We get to partner with Orchard Africa, like I said, in very tangible ways. Because the gospel is something that we don't internalize. The gospel is something that is for the world. So every nation of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Go down to Genesis chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So God grants an heir to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, Isaac. There's family drama between Hagar and Sarah after Isaac is born, and she demands that Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn son, be sent away. Abraham is later instructed by God to sacrifice his son of promise as a burnt offering and remains obedient to what God instructs him to do. Abraham's about to follow through with the sacrifice until God stops him and reaffirms his covenant with Abraham that every nation of the earth would be blessed. Why? Why does God do this? Because Abraham was obedient He was obedient. Several times in the New Testament, we see it stated that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness. Here we see another potential character of Scripture, one of the the patriarchs, fulfill God's plan 
through his obedience. So we've seen that God is the creator of all. He's the judge of all. He's the sustainer of all. And finally, he is the director of all. Go over to Genesis 25, verses 21 through 23. Abraham's son, Isaac, he prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So Jacob and Esau are born, right? Jacob is a deceiver, which is what his name means. Thanks, mom and dad. I often wonder what my parents were thinking when they named me Jacob. So when I introduce myself to people, I just say, hi, I'm Jake. Makes it sound less deceiverish or supplanter-like. But nevertheless, Jacob is a deceiver. He robs Esau of his birthright for a cup of soup and steals the blessing of the firstborn son with the help of his mother. So he then flees from Esau because Esau's planning to kill him. The deception is actually returned on Jacob when his father-in-law gives him Leah instead of, his, of her sister Rachel, whom he has to work an additional seven years for, right? And this is interesting how things begin to play out. The family drama here is absolutely almost funny, right? Because Leah wasn't loved, so God allowed her to have children. Rachel got jealous, so she gives Jacob, her servant, to have children for Jacob. Leah stops being able to have children, so she gives Jacob, her servant, in order to have more children. Leah is once again able to have more children, so she has more children. And then God remembers Rachel, who hasn't been able to have children this whole time, and allows her to have children. Jacob was a pretty busy guy. But out of all of the familial resentment and jealousy, God had sovereignly directed the births of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and eventually Benjamin. We know these as the 12 tribes of Israel. The people who were selected by God to fulfill 
his promise. And Joseph really sticks out, doesn't he? He's the arrogant one who dreams his entire family will bow and worship him. So his brothers sell him. Potiphar's wife wrongfully accuses him and he rises to power in the nation of Egypt because he can correctly interpret dreams. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of the whole land of Egypt and it thrives under his rule. Joseph comes into contact again with his brothers due to a severe famine and he himself testifies that everything that occurred in his life was under the the divine direction of the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go over to Genesis 45, verses four through seven. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by great deliverance. God is the sovereign director of all things. And his plan of redemption is continuing to unfold regardless of what these people are choosing to participate in, right? And so his father Jacob finally dies, and in Genesis 50, verses 18 through 21, we see his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said, because they feared that now that Jacob had died, Joseph would enact revenge on them. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended, harm to, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Isn't it interesting that Throughout the book of Genesis, we see these principal characters and we see their willingness to be obedient to God and what he calls them to do. But eventually what happens to them is they are still under the curse of sin. They still undergo death. And I'm not trying to sound morbid in this sense, but due to sin's curse, every person within this room, every person within this world will undergo a physical death. That's as a result of our initial disobedience that has transitioned throughout the years. And so in in a way, Though these characters were obedient to God, they still couldn't 
fulfill everything that God had told them to do. They still couldn't uh, deal with the issue of sin and separation from God because it wasn't given them to do. And they didn't have the capacity to actually overcome it. No, no. God is unfolding a plan of redemption as we've spoken about already that was completely realized in the finished work of Jesus. But something very interesting for us to consider is very evident throughout the book of Genesis. You know, Tim Keller passed away recently, and you can imagine uh, we as a staff are reading a lot of his work right now. And um, not that we didn't realize how profound it was before, but now we're paying close attention to it in light of the mark that he's left for 21st century uh, Christianity. And he has several things to point out about these characters that we see that comprise the book of Genesis. But he does a very interesting thing here. He talks about how Jesus is the fulfillment of these people. Take, for instance, Adam. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the better Isaac, the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. God said to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. And now we can say to God, Now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled with God and took the blow of justice we deserved so that we, like Jacob, receive only the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. And finally, Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. So Jesus fulfills everything that you and I cannot. I want us to really think about that and process that. I want us to ask ourselves the question, are we demonstrating the obedience that God has called us to personally like we see the obedience that was carried out through who we just considered in this broad overview of the book of Genesis. And as I mentioned before, we're going to concentrate specifically on the different, event, the different events throughout the book as the summer progresses. But now suffice it to say that genuine followers of Jesus obey 
we obey what he tells us to do. And so a question I have for myself, a question I have for us this morning, is, is, is are we legitimately obeying Jesus? To follow him in such a way to where the people we come in contact with wonder about the hope that they see inside of us. Have you, have you specifically, individually, come to a point where you, you realize that Jesus himself is the only mediator between God and man because your sin separates you from him? If you haven't, like, you're the person I want to talk to today. I'm not going to hang around after the service to talk about, do I literally think that the day, as God said in Genesis 1, was a literal 24-hour period, or did it happen a thousand years? You know, that, that, that discussion is for another time. What I really want to know is if we are being obedient to the things that God has called us to be obedient to. And it's laying down our lives to serve other people the way that Jesus served other people by giving them his life. Because as we'll sing here in just a minute, Jesus himself is the way maker, the miracle worker the light in the darkness. And so, if you are a follower of Jesus today, be encouraged that though you are still attached to a sinful nature, you have been redeemed. Not to follow those things anymore. Not to follow the patterns of this world. But to choose life instead of death. And if you have yet to place your faith and trust in Christ, then feel free to come and talk to me after the service. I'll be at the blue welcome table. Love to have the chance to, to sit and to talk with you. But I want us to be encouraged today because the victory is ours in Christ Jesus. So, Allow me to pray for us as our ushers make their way to their positions. Father, as we consider these things that have been spoken this morning, as we consider the plan of redemption that is unfolding in the book of Genesis, I pray that you would help us to understand that through your gracious act of redemption, we now lay our lives down in service to our King. It is Jesus himself who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And so may it be the legitimate cry of our hearts to lay our lives down in humble service and adoration to everything that he is whatever the cost, 
whatever that means for us, educationally, politically, occupationally, in terms of our family, in terms of ridding ourselves of whatever rights that we think we have. Would you speak to our hearts now and whisper to them by the power of your Holy Spirit to make us aware of inconsistencies within our own lives that simply do not exhibit the love that you have so graciously shown us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Lost Mountain, visit us at lmbc.us. Thank you for tuning in today.